coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and I've got my co-host Curtis here with me today to talk all things football recruiting as we bring you guys our instant reaction to Georgia's early signing day. We're going to take a big picture look at the class to start things off, kind of the general state of Georgia football recruiting, before taking a closer look at some of the specific prospects in this 2021 recruiting class. Before we get to all that, though, very quickly, I just want to thank those of you who have helped us over the past week or so with a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to our show, whether it's Spotify, tune in wherever it might be. You guys are awesome. You are. You're absolutely awesome. And we really appreciate the support. The One Star Trolls, they came out over the weekend, which is cool. They can do what they want, but you guys are canceling them out. And that is a huge help. So thank you for that. Thank you very much for that help, guys. And I also want to give a shout out to one of our longtime listeners, Whit Barfield. Whit is a good dude. He's actually started his own podcast with some of his friends. It's called Around the Keg. And you can follow them on Twitter at at Around the Keg Pod and check out their episodes on Spotify. It really is. It's a fun podcast that takes a, a kind of a big picture look at college football along with just kind of having some fun banter among friends, which is always great. It really is. It's a great listen, guys. And Wit is a dog. So if college football and beer is up your alley, help one of our own and give them a listen. But all right, back to the task at hand. Recruiting, signing day. Always a big day on the calendar because... Guys, as far as I'm concerned, recruiting is the lifeblood of a college football program. I mean, it, it takes a lot to win at a high level. I get that. It's not just about having players. A lot of programs have great players, but they don't necessarily win at a high level. There's a lot of factors that go into it. But I personally believe having the talent, acquiring the top talent in the country, I put that at the top of the list. If you don't have the talent, you just don't have a chance to win it all. You just don't. And we've been recruiting at an elite level, really better than anyone in the nation over the past three or four years. Kirby Smart has objectively been getting it done on the recruiting trail, and that should be no surprise. He's been doing that since he's essentially been a college coach. And coming off two number one class finishes in the past three seasons, at least according to the 247 composite, we were ranked third nationally in the 247 composite coming into the day with most of the heavy lifting already done in this class. Like most of the, of the hay was already the barn. We already had most of the guys that were going to get in this class not signed yet, but committed. But there also were a few big targets left to go. We had realistic shots at Xavier and Sori, a linebacker at IMG Academy, uh, running back Donovan Edwards out of Michigan, defensive tackle Mason Smith out of, out of Louisiana, defensive lineman Corey Foreman out of California, just to name a few. But Curtis, while almost every single cycle Kirby Smart has thrown haymakers on signing day, we only managed to land one of those big remaining targets, those uncommitted targets in Xavier and Sori on at least this early signing day. We also saw Juco cornerback commit Dejon Warren decommit and sign with Deion Sanders at Jackson State. Have fun, man. Good luck there. So, Kurt, how would you characterize our signing day finish? Has Kirby Smart lost his touch as some of the people on the fringe of the fan base want to make you believe right now? Um, Honestly, no. I mean, right now, I think that especially signing day, you saw what has been just a continuous factor in this whole 2020 uh, recruiting cycle is outside of Xavier on Sori, almost all these guys that we were shooting for were out-of-state commits or out-of-state targets. 
And I think almost a majority of them, especially by the time Corey Foreman announces his commitment, I mean, um, I would assume USC for him. But for a majority of these, these guys that ended up staying home, and in Dejon Warren's, um, uh, in his own right, a lot of his had to do with grades, I believe, because uh, it, you, good as Dion is, it's hard to imagine someone would go to Jackson State outside of offers from Penn State or University of Georgia. Now, I'm not trying to sound like sour apples with him or sour grapes, however you want to say it, but I really do uh, believe that his had to do more with grades. But everyone else, I mean, yeah, it wasn't the big finish that we all wanted with some of these big-time guys. But what you saw in the end is what you've seen throughout the cycle. A lot of kids are choosing to stay home. Um, the whole COVID factor has gotten them to just uh, – has really instilled a lot of these guys wanting to stay close to home right now. Yeah, you touched on a lot of things there. I want to go back to the Dijon Warren situation because this is like, this is what you're going to hear us. And you've seen it all day. How many times have you seen on social media or on the internet or on TV? Oh my God, Deion Sanders flips the number one Juco cornerback in the country from Georgia. Oh my God, what's going on with Kirby Smart? How many times have you already heard that today, Curtis? Um, All day. And it's kind of just frustrating because especially ESPN will push any narrative that gets, that allows them to include Deion Sanders name in it. Yes. Um, so, of course, that's, you know, like I, I was texting you this morning or, you know, Wednesday morning saying I wish as bad as it sounds that we could almost just blast the kid saying, hey, his grades weren't there. He wouldn't get in just because you have the whole narrative getting pushed by ESPN and some of these other people like, oh, my God, Dion is for real. Like, man, that's probably not the truth. Yeah. And look, I, I don't I'm not here to bash any kid. I, I, have, I legitimately wish the kid the best. I, from what I understand, he has had a very rough upbringing, rough background, tough life. And I wish, I genuinely wish him the absolute best. I don't, I don't wish the kid, and I know you don't either, Curtis. But what I've been told and what I've heard from several different sources is that this was more of a grades thing than anything else, as you mentioned. Uh, I don't really want to go into more detail than that. I don't really have any more details than that, to be honest. I don't have that. It's not like I'm an insider or anything. I don't, I don't know, know all of it. I just know what I've been told from people that, that would generally know these things. And, and that seems to be the case here. And you're exactly right, Curtis. Even if I didn't know anyone and didn't talk to anyone about that and didn't, didn't hear those things, like, what sense on earth does it make that a Juco prospect who's probably going to try to be one and done, right? Whose goal is probably to get into the NFL. What sense on earth does it make to not go to Georgia or Penn state, which were his two top options for a while there. If you have the option, like seriously, girls, what sense does that make? Well, I mean, and that's the thing, like just use your brains guys. Yeah. I know people like we all get like, we're all emotional about this. It's all really important to, to us. And uh, you hear rival fan bases laughing at you, and it gets you all fired up. And, and, and some people are just – I mean, look, some people are just prone to pessimism anyway and prone to criticize coaches, and this gives you ammunition to do that. I get all that. But, guys, just use your brains. What player in their right mind is going to turn down Penn State in Georgia for Jackson State? I know you have the Deion Sanders factor there, and, yes, Deion is Deion, and, you know, he's the greatest cornerback in the history of the world probably – but still, you're going to get no exposure there whatsoever. And look, scouts will find you, sure, and they're going to be looking at Dion's stuff. I, I get that. But if, if you want to have a chance to actually compete and have any sort of college experience, like you would not choose Jackson State over Georgia Penn State if you had those options. So I could be wrong here. Again, I don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. But just based off what I've been told and just kind of reading between the lines and just, again, using my brain, like using logic, I would it would seem to suggest that maybe he didn't actually have those options after all, especially when you consider the need that we have at cornerback. Uh, where he could be he could come in. He, I mean, honestly, he could come in right away and compete for a starting job. 
at Georgia if he was able to do that. Um, and look, and you're right. I'm not trying to be sour sour grapes about this. I and I always I am always cautious about throwing things out there like that because you always when you say things like that, what people always come back with is, oh yeah, you just can't accept that you lost somebody, right? You're just making excuses. You didn't want them in the first place. No, I wanted John Warren. I think John Warren is like a guy that honestly, if he if he ended up in this class. I think he had a great shot to start day one next year. Had a really great shot. We said that many times on this show over the past couple of weeks. So I, I'm not happy that he's not in this class. I want him. but And I'm not trying to discount, discount him as a player and say, oh, we never wanted him. He's a really good player. I wanted him. I just, you know, for things, for certain reasons, it just didn't work out. And that happens sometimes in class. He won't be the first guy, a first-handed player that that we had a shot with, that we had committed, that, that wasn't able to finally uh, end up in the class for different reasons. And uh, he won't be the last. So, it is what it is, and that's fine. Uh, one of the guys that we missed on Curtis that you and I had talked about a lot throughout this entire cycle, I mean, we've called him the best running back in this class multiple times on this show, and that's Dominic Edwards from Michigan. It was really uh, what we'd always heard coming down the stretch was down to Georgia and Michigan. He's from the state of Michigan. We, uh, You and I liked our chance, and we thought we had a good shot. With We didn't know for sure. We thought we had a pretty good shot with all the, uh, the uncertainty around the Michigan program with Jim Harbaugh and just how their program really kind of fell off the map this year. So, but COVID certainly played a, a role in that. How much does it hurt to not land a guy like Donovan Edwards? Um, It does hurt because I think the thing is, especially ever since the Zeus and Cook era, we haven't put together that um, class of two studs like we had for a little, you know, like we had a nice little stretch going for uh, dating back to the Mark Ricky years. Um, It definitely does hurt, but it gives me hope at the same time that potentially um, someone like Cook may come back next year. Um. I'm more than likely expecting Zeus to go, but if we could get Cook back, I think that'd be huge for our running back room going forward. Yeah, that was and that was going to be one of my questions when it comes to Donovan Edwards is when you miss on a guy like that. Look, and he's a great player. I, I stand by. I think for, like, I haven't seen every running back in this class, but the guys that we were in it for that I watched us uh, that I watched their tape of. I mean, I thought he was the top guy. I thought he was the most complete package. I really like Lavoisier Carroll. I think he's he's certainly got better speed than Edwards. Um, I think he moves better, but Edwards is, um, I think he was a little bit more of a complete back based on the tape I saw in Grant. That's just a, a small bit, I'd say, based on basically their junior tape. Didn't see their senior tape. Although I did watch a couple of IMG games this year on ESPN. So saw a little bit of Bossier Carroll. I thought Carroll was actually better this year than he was a junior, a, a good bit better. I thought he took a nice step forward. But Edwards is a really good back. And again, again I'm not going to try to discount this guy and say, oh, I didn't want him after all. I, I, no, I really good player. I wish he was in this class. But and we never know. Like it might mean nothing. Maybe Michigan just beat us for. Him. Maybe he just wanted to stay home. Maybe Michigan just did a better job recruiting him, and the the home state school was was too much to turn down. That's possible. But I, I, I want to touch on something you alluded to, Curtis. Could it also maybe who knows possibly mean that we told him, hey, we weren't trying to be upfront with you, but so and so, James Cook, Zamir White. They've told us they're coming back, and maybe that scared him off. Is that a possibility? I'm not saying it's what happened, but is that possible? Um, yeah, because as much as the pull factor is to stay in state, it's hard to go play for school where you're trying to get your coach to take an extension for less money. Yeah, it's it's just I mean, look, I know it's your home state school. You're right, but like, there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, he might, and maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's not committing to Jim Harbaugh. Maybe he's committing to Michigan, and he doesn't care what happens if they bring in a new coach. But man. Most guys would care about that because you don't know who they're going to bring in. You don't know how you mesh with that guy. You don't know what kind of offense he's going to run. Are you, are you going to, is he going to run an air race style offense where they don't run the football at all? Like that matters. So I, I, I look. I don't. I don't have any inside knowledge here, but it's just it's, it's interesting. I think it it could it might mean nothing. Maybe they just beat us, but it also could mean that maybe our coaches have gotten word that some of these guys that 
are draft eligible might be coming back. Guys like James Cook and Zamir White. Possibly. I don't know. I, I don't know. But I think it's certainly a possibility there that Bear is mentioning. And uh, look, our coaches might not know. Those guys might not have made their decisions yet. That's certainly very possible. But there's also where would they have. But uh, look, I would certainly love to have Dominic Edwards in this class. But like I told you guys that I – mean, look at our look at our backfield right now. We've got a lot of numbers back there and a lot of guys that can really play. Even a guy like Dejan Edwards. I mean – I know he hasn't played a ton this year. It's been in garbage time, but he's impressed every time he's gotten on the field. So we have a ton of options. Even if Zeus does go pro, I, we're we're in really good shape at running back. We have Kendall Milton next year, Kenny McIntosh. I think James will likely come back. And then you got Lavoisier, Carroll, uh, Dejan Edwards, as I mentioned. We have a really nice group of running backs. And it's a crowded room for Dom Edwards. Let's be real. It's absolutely a crowded room. Even if um, let's say even if Cook and Zeus go, we still got some guys that he, he would have to jump over. It's a crowded room right now in that in in that backfield. And I, and I, we've said a couple of times on this show when it comes to the recruiting the running back position this year, I thought we might only take one. I think the only way we were going to take two because we're going to have a smaller class this year anyway. I thought the only way we would take two running backs is if one of those two running backs was Donovan Edwards. But I, I don't think I didn't think we were going to reach for like if, if Edwards committed elsewhere. I didn't think we were going to reach for somebody else. Like for example, like last year with Zach Evans, we had Zach Evans and Kendall Milton committed. Well, Kendall Milton has his whole meltdown the whole situation whatever he's off the commitment list and then we go and we off we tell Dejan Edwards you got a spot and what does Edwards do he he commits right so that's that's what we did last year I didn't think that was going to happen this year because I just didn't think we had the room for a guy like that so yeah I would love to have him but I think we'll be okay at running back no doubt there Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, let's move on to, to the one big target we did land today. Top 20 prospect, number 20 overall in the 247 composite, inside linebacker, Xavier Sori. Curtis, how good is he? How excited should Georgia fans be about landing his commitment? Um, I, I think he's really excited. To me, he reminds me of the old uh, Rolando McClain-type linebacker, um, especially Bigger. I think that's who you could see him looking like. Yeah, if you look at, at – uh, Xavier Sori, he is a bigger linebacker. I mean, he comes in 6'3", 215. I think he's in, in some ways similar to Smell Mon. Not at, I think Smell Mon, I think, is a better overall athlete, more explosive athlete. Xavier Sori, though, is a guy that is raw at the inside linebacker position, but his ceiling is off the charts. He doesn't really play. If you look at his tape, he doesn't really play inside line. At least he didn't as a junior. I didn't see, I couldn't find his senior tape anywhere, but as a junior, didn't really play inside linebacker so much now as i watched him a little bit img he played more inside linebacker there but as a junior most of his tape was simply playing outside linebacker he actually in a lot of ways reminded me of quay walker a little bit not not necessarily the athlete quay was but he played a lot on the outside uh played in space a little bit and didn't really play a lot of inside linebacker so just expect him to be a little bit of raw coming in this year in this year, guys, in this class, he might not be ready in year one. And I don't think Smell Mondo would necessarily be ready in year one. Those guys need a little bit more polishing at the inside linebacker position, which is what they project as at the next level. But he certainly has a very high ceiling. He's a big physical guy that can also run. He plays a lot of running back for his high school team. And I'm really excited about getting him. This is a guy that thinks going to be a big-time prospect. And the, the, the cool thing is, Kurt, 
Like, do we really need Xavier Sori and or Smil Monden to be ready to play next year? Uh, more than likely, no. Yeah, I don't think we need them to. Now, if if they're ready to step in and they're at they're ahead of schedule, that's gravy. That's awesome. That's icing on the cake. But when you've got Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, Chain Tyndall, you've got guys like that coming back, you don't necessarily need a Xavier Sori or a Smell Monday to be ready in your one. They have time to grow. They have a year to sit back, get used to playing inside linebacker, learn the system, polish their game a little bit, and then hit the ground running in 2022, which I think is what you're going to see. I don't think we necessarily need the next year, but I think Xavier Sori is a really good prospect. I think he's deserving his top 20 ranking. I'm excited to see how he grows once he gets here in Athens. And hopefully become a big-time inside linebacker for us. Uh, Kurt, I, next one I want to move to here is a guy that wasn't one of the big targets, but he's a guy that you heard his, – his name was mentioned in connection with Georgia as we got towards the end of the signing class. And that's wide receiver Jimmy Horn Jr. He's a three-star prospect, a lower prospect, but he was one of those guys that we thought might actually – like we offered him late in the, pro, in the process – but just because you offer him doesn't mean that it's a committable offer. It might be one of those situations like Dejan Edwards from last year, like, hey, we like you. We would love to have you on the team. But right now, we have this guy ahead of you. But if this happens, you have a spot. We did not end up taking Jimmy Horn Jr. So, Curtis, let me ask you this. What does that tell you? Um, it makes me feel pretty confident that we're going to definitely hit the transfer market hard. Because right now, the class we're bringing in at wide receivers is not one that's going to really jump off the page at you. It was hard to expect us to get some, especially a whole group like we did last year. But it does make me think that we're planning on trying to elicit someone from that market to come in and be more of an immediate impact guy at the wide receiver position this year. Yeah, and look, guys, Jimmy Horn Jr., I, I think he's a good player. He's another guy that I think would be great to have on our team. He's, he's one of those true slot receivers, jitterbug type guys. could be an explosive playmaker. I, I think he'd be great in our team. But – you don't take a guy like that if you think you have bigger fish potentially down the line. Because right now, guys, we have 20 prospects. This is what I'm getting to. We have 20 players that have signed their letter of intent in this class. Curtis, is that are those the only players that we're going to add between now and next fall? Uh, potentially out of high school, yes. But for to add towards the team, no. Yes, and that's what I'm getting to here. That might be – we might not take any more guys coming out of high school. This might be it from high school. But what this is what I've been t- telling you guys for the past couple weeks on this show. Kirby Smart was going to save spots for the transfer portal in preparation for – or in, in, in anticipation of the one-time penalty-free transfer waiver, that whole legislation being passed. Kirby Smart is playing on hitting the transfer portal. And to do that, you have to have spots. So those guys will be initial counters, and you've got to have spots available. If you don't have spots available, then you can't take those guys, right? You, you, have, to have, you have to be under the 85. And if you sign a full class here and we're at 85, then a guy like Eric Gilbert, who, if, if potentially Eric Gilbert ends up going into the transfer portal, which I think very might be very likely here in, in the next couple of weeks, then even if he wants to come to Georgia, he can't come to Georgia unless you billy bob somebody and, and basically take their scholarship from them, and that's a really bad look. So you have to have room for those guys. And the way you make sure you have room for them is don't take a full class of, of signees coming out of high school. I think that's what you're seeing here, and that's why I bring up Jimmy Horn Jr. He's a good player. There's a reason we offered him, but we also have to make sure we have room. So if we want to make sure we have room for some of those guys – then Jimmy Horn Jr. might not end up having a spot at the end of the day, all right? And I think that's ultimately what happened here. Again, I don't know. I don't have inside information. I'm just reading between the lines here. And that's what you do with recruiting. You have to. But what that tells me is that 
we're going to hit the transfer portal pretty hard here, guys. We've saved some spots for that. And that's kind of where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back full circle here. Curtis, I asked you to open the show, how would you characterize our signing day finish as Kirby Smart lost his touch? No. Guys, what I would say is that this signing class is incomplete. Don't judge this class right now. All right, Even though it's number four in the country, which is still really, really good, don't judge it right now. This is an incomplete class. Judge it after you. No, honestly, I think that you're going to see a lot more of this going forward. Also, realistically, uh, a lot of coaches are going to take this method of how they approach the recruiting classes in the future, too, knowing that guys are going to be able to transfer freely once. Yeah. I mean, it's it's essentially it's college football's version of free agency, right, Curtis? Yeah. I mean, you're going to see a lot of these kids like um, all the time. They'll be good players. Maybe they're fresh, a sophomore, junior year where they're like, smaller schools and guys are like god how do these guys get away well now all of a sudden they're going to get their chance to compete because coaches are going to take them thinking all right i'm going to come in uh, especially take us for instance we're going to be very close next year to having a team that can win it all especially offensively we just need a few pieces here and there that could add to put us over the edge and even then on defense on the defensive line and quarterbacking that's what coaches are going to do because when you recruit a lot of these kids outside of a lot of the high four and a lot of the five stars most of these kids are not going to be expected to come in and compete immediately, but that's why they're going to go on the transfer route because you can replace a guy right away. Absolutely. I, I do think this is going to become a trend. I think what you're going to see, like like recruiting services are still going to end up ranking these classes, but I think you're going to see a lot of teams in the future take cl- maybe not as many players out of high school, right? So like if you could take 25, you might see these teams taking 21, 22, 23 players and leaving a couple spots open for the transfer portal for, for that market, because guys like that's where that's recruiting. Like when you go and you recruit the transfer market, that's still recruiting. Okay. They might not be coming out of high school. Look how big it was for us to get JT uh, JT Daniels out of the transfer market. That's like landing a five-star quarterback. I don't know. What what about a guy like named Joe Burrow for LSU changed their program, right? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's massive being able to go and get guys out of the transfer portal. It could be program changing. It puts you over the top. You're right, Curtis. Next year, I think we're going to be very, very close to being a team that can win a national championship. We just need a few pieces. And I would much rather have guys that, and maybe they're not completely proven. Like a guy, a guy like Eric Gilbert maybe hasn't completely proven himself at the, at the college level, but he's at least played at that level. You can trust him or you've seen him at the college level against big-time players in the SEC. And that tells you more about a guy than what you see them if, if they're playing against like uh, a bunch of guys in a – two-way game in the state of Georgia. That just makes a lot of sense. Well, I think something, I think something too, that for the last, for a long time, when kids transferred, the question was, what's wrong with them? Why are they transferring? Oh, they weren't getting PT or character issues or a lot of things, but that's no longer going to be the narrative going forward either. Is Some of these guys are going to transfer because they want a chance to win it all, or there's just that one little thing that they couldn't do at the other school where they may get some better exposure at this school over the other and that's what's going to be different about transfers, too, is when guys transferred before, you weren't always sure that they were going to contribute, especially right away, because there was a reason they were coming, and it may not have been a good reason. But that's not the case anymore, either. Well, you're going to have – there's so many reasons why you might transfer. It might be a coaching change. You might be in a smaller school, and you're having a great year, and um, you think you, you want to get more exposure at a bigger school. So you you transfer that way. Maybe you like Eric Gilbert, you want to be closer to home and you may be closer to your family. There's all sorts of reasons that you're right, Curtis, that don't necessarily have to be that, oh, you couldn't hack it at your first school. Like Grayson Lambert was one of those, right? Like he couldn't, he got beat out at Virginia. And so he comes to Georgia and, and it's like, well, yeah, I guess like we should be excited maybe, but like he got beat out at Virginia. How good can this guy be? And that kind of proved itself on the field. But 
I, I, that's not the case for every transfer, especially now they get this one-time penalty-free transfer waiver. Uh, coaches move. They have good years. A variety of reasons. Maybe they just don't. Maybe they just they just don't gel with their teammates. There can be so, any, any number of reasons that don't have to be that. Oh, he just couldn't hack it at his school. So I again, I just I think it's incomplete. Don't judge this recruiting class right now. Wait until I would say spring practice, maybe even fall camp when we've hit the transfer market and we've got all of those guys on this roster, then we can look back and judge them. And the recruiting services, they're going to continue to rank these classes because that's what they do. That's how they exist. That's how they make money and make a living. But I think you're exactly right, Curtis. Moving forward, like the recruiting rankings, the final team rankings, like take it with a grain of salt because a lot of these teams are going to continue to hit the transfer portal. They're going to, they're going to recruit the transfer portal. And you don't really do that until after the season's over, once you get into the new year, after the bowl games. Because that's when seasons are over, and that's when you see guys in the portal. So just because right now we're seeing at number four, which is still really good, by the way, doesn't mean that this class won't end up being like a, a potentially a, a top two or three class in the country. And I know like the recruiting services won't like if we get Eric Gilbert as a transfer, if we get BJ Ojolari as a transfer, which I'm, there's no guarantee, but if we get guys like that on the transfer market, they're not going to update their rankings. They don't get added to our class in the two four seven composite. But the reality is they're a part of this class, right, Curtis? Yeah, exactly. And you have to factor that in. So I, I just think the 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 old days of looking at judging a recruiting class based off who did you land on signing day, like who were your final commitments out of high school, I think those days are over. I think you are going to now have to factor in the transfer portal when you're looking at classes. And who knows, maybe the recruiting services will adjust to that reality. But I think that is the new reality once this one-time penalty-free transfer waiver thing gets approved. So I know some people are down. We dropped number three, number four. So you would say, oh, man, that we we finished. Like, what, what we at, we're asking the mailbag, are we, we going to finish with a bang or with a whimper? So some people say, oh, we finished with a whimper, man. We whipped on all these targets. All we got was Xavier and Sorry on signing day. We dropped from number three to number four. LSU jumped us because they got Mason Smith, and we didn't. So Kirby Smart just whiffed on signing day. I, I just – I don't see it that way. And it's cool if you do. I just don't see it that way because I know – that we are going to hit the transfer market. And yeah, I, I mean, think we get some really good players. Opinion, in my opinion, I would much re- – I mean, of course I'd want to have Corey Foreman or Mason Smith, but realistically, I would rather have a, a transfer guy who has done something in college than Deshaun Warren and even add wide receivers instead of Jimmy Horn Jr. Give me a transfer. I'd much rather have them because you don't – you're hoping Jimmy Horn Jr. or someone like that would develop where, where I'd rather have someone that can come in and not have to wait for them to develop. To me, that would, that would make our yeah. class that's coming in stronger. Yeah. You just like in recruiting is a, I don't say it's a crapshoot, but it's an inexact science, but you know what helps when you have more data and more information to work off of. And if you're taking transfers that have played the college level, you just have a lot more information, a lot more data to work off of than you do with these guys in in high school that oftentimes are just so vastly more talented than the players are playing against that. It's sometimes it's hard to even judge how good they really are. But when you're taking a transfer that's played in college, you have a lot more information to work off of. So you're exactly right. I would say I would take a transfer uh, that we believe in that we're not reaching for that we think can help us over a guy out of high school that might be a fringe guy like Jimmy Horn Jr. And not to, not to discount Jimmy Horn Jr. Say he's not a good player. I think the guy is an electric playmaker, but we just, we don't know how he would translate to the college level. I think he could be a good player, but we don't know that you have a lot more information, a lot more uh, data to work with with those guys that are already in college have already put some time and put some tape at the college level out there. If you take a look at so yeah, I just think it's incomplete right now. I'm not I'm not going to judge Kirby Smart either way on this. I think, by the way, though, we've already put together a really, really good class. Even if this is – even if we don't add anybody in the transfer portal, it's still a top four class nationally. we got 
I think it was eight guys in the top 100 of the 247 composite. A couple guys inside the top 20. Well, and at least we locked down the state of Georgia too, which I think is hilarious that it doesn't matter what we do. The fan base will, or, you know, a part of the fan base will be mad. You know, the last couple of years we've had a top recruiting class with most services and the fans weren't happy that we didn't lock down the state enough. Well, this time around, we locked down the state of Georgia pretty dang well. And yet they'll still look at it as a failure. Oh, it's because we didn't get the long shots from Louisiana and California. You know, it, it, they just, you're right. There's, there's certain people out there that just are miserable and they hate their lives. I don't lives. Even know how to call themselves Georgia fans, to be honest. I, I totally agree. You're exactly right. I mean, it's the same people that you see on social media and the same people you talk to. And it's like, you're, you're exactly right. Last year, oh man, we're letting all these guys from the Tank Bigsby. Look, I love that Tank Tank Bigsby too. But there was there was there's context there. We're just we're letting too many guys from the state of Georgia leave us and come back to bite us. And then when we do a great job recruiting the state of Georgia this year, it's like, oh well, we didn't get Mason Smith from Louisiana. Oh, we didn't get Corey Foreman from from California. It's like, dude, did you realize that those were insane long shots in the first place? It was like it, it was an incredible job by our coaches to even be in it with those guys. Yeah, when they couldn't. Re- I mean, yeah, they came to town, but it's not like you could actually go in their homes and talk to them either. Yeah, exactly. We haven't even mentioned the fact that this is not a normal recruiting year. And I know that it wasn't for anybody. I get that. But when, you, when you're a program like Georgia and you have our facilities to show off, that that matters and guys can't get on campus. So, I mean, look, I, I think it says a lot. That, like, for a guy like Mason Smith, that guys, it is so hard to get players out of Louisiana that LSU wants. It's so hard. Alabama's done it a couple of times, but very and few programs also can do a that. neighboring state. So, for like when – Kids from Louisiana come to us. It's a 10-hour drive. That's not the case when you're going to Tuscaloosa. Yeah, that's exactly right. So just to be in it, look, I know there's no points for finishing second place, but just the fact that we were in it just tells you how, again, how good of a recruiting staff that we have. And, and I'll just say this. Like I told you today uh, when we were texting about this, just trust in Kirby Smart, guys. Kirby Smart, when it comes to recruiting, I'm not saying he's perfect, especially as an in-game coach, but – when it comes to recruiting, this man has given us no reason, absolutely no reason to doubt him whatsoever. He has been the best recruiter in the country since he got this job. We have recruited better than anyone in the country over the past three or four years. That's, those are just facts. Look at the numbers. That, that's just how it is. So I'm not worried about it. I know that Kirby Smart has a plan in place, and I fully 1,000% trust this man to get us where we need to be in terms of, uh, of recruiting and now hitting the transfer market. So I, I'm not worried about it. I know some people are. Um, I get it. It's important, and we follow this closely. But I'm not freaking out. Kirby, I used to forget about these things when Mark Rick was the coach. But now with Kirby, I just learned, don't freak out, man. It's all going to be okay on the recruiting front. It's just never going to be a problem. Uh, but all right, Kurt, let's move on here. So we got a couple of things we want to talk about before we have to get out of here. Let's take a closer look at some of the members of this class. And, and this is our wheelhouse, guys. We're – I don't want to speak for you, Curtis, but I know that I'm far more comfortable evaluating these guys as prospects than I am predicting like what team they're going to choose to play for. And once the late signing period comes and goes, because who knows, we might add a few more guys. Corey Foreman technically pushed back his decision. I don't think we will be his landing spot, but I guess we could be. And who knows, might be a name here or there that, that pops up in the late signing period. So we might add another player or two from the high school ranks, possible. So we'll just wait until the late signing period comes and goes and this class is like officially, officially complete. And once that happens, we'll we'll go back and break down each and every prospect in this class in detail. And if we get somebody in the transfer market, we'll do that with them as well. In fact, we're going to do a couple of shows doing just that. But today, we're just going to have some fun with it, talk about a couple of these guys. And Kurt, here's what I want you to do first. Tell me, out of the 20 prospects that we signed today, who is going to be the Andrew Thomas, the George Pickens, the Jermaine Burton of the class and make the most immediate impact in Athens next year? Ooh, 
Um, that is tough. Because you and I both said it was going to be Dejon Warren. We've 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 talked about this previously, but he's no longer a member of this class. So who are you going with next? Ooh. Um. I'll tell you what. I'll go first and let you think on this. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting first. you on the spot yeah, here. First. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with the cornerback position because when you're talking about who's to make the most immediate impact, the biggest part of that, yeah, you have to be talented, but you also have to have playing time opportunity. You have to have opportunity there. That's like Jermaine Burton this year. Yeah, he's a really talented player, and he started every single game for us, but there was also a lot of opportunity at receiver because we just had – we were a trainer at that position last year, and we didn't have a ton of returning talent outside of George Pickens. That spot was open. He went out, and to his credit, he grabbed it. So you have to have that opportunity. To me, the biggest spot for opportunity for playing time next year is going to be cornerback. That, that's the most clear spot for me. There will be a couple spots to the offensive line, maybe even as well, but I think cornerback – is going to be wide open next year, potentially if, if all those guys go pro, which is probably more likely than not at this point. So if Dejon Warren is gone, I'm going to go with one of our recent commitments that we got over the past couple of weeks. I'm going to go with Nylon Green out of, out of uh, Newton High School here in Georgia. And I'm going with Green because like, I like Kamari Laster too out of Alabama. I kind of went back and forth in those guys. I don't think there's a ton of separation between them, but I'm going to go with Green. I like him just a little bit better. Because he has, I think he has a little bit better measurables than Kamari Lasseter. Uh, 6'2, 185. He has the length, he has the speed, he has all those measurables. He has the physical profile that you like in a cornerback that Kirby Smart likes in a cornerback. And here's one thing that I that kind of did it for me. I think he's more physical at the line of scrimmage in press man coverage than Kamari Lasseter. And you know, Curtis, how much press man coverage we like to play on the outside with to get up in receivers grill. Press them, be physical, and Nylon Green does that. And you don't see a lot of res- a lot of cornerback at the high school level do that well. He does that really well. I mean, he's pretty polished for a high school cornerback. And a lot of times they're not; they just rely on their just raw athleticism. And I also think he has really, really good ball skills. You can you combine the measurables, the physical profile, his physicality, the line of scrimmage, and press coverage. Polished for a high school prospect, the good ball skills. Combine that with the fact that there's opportunity for playing time for him. I think Nylon Green is a guy I would. If I had to handicap it right now, it would be the guy I would say has the best chance to make an immediate impact in Athens. I'm actually going to go the – I'm going to stick on the defensive side, but I'm going to go with Tyrion Ingram Dawkins. Okay. And while I know he needs to get his body right because he's one of these guys, especially this last year or so, has gone through a crazy growth spurt and put on about 50 pounds, to me I could see him following in the footsteps of a Jordan Davis Um where he, you come in, and especially at the position he is where we, right now on our roster, we don't have a lot of guys that fill that role. And I believe he's an early enrollee, so I think that will give him time to get it, take if he can take full advantage of that spring. It may put him in a position to get some important snaps on the defensive side of the ball if he can get into the weight room early in January and start taking full advantage of that and get himself in a better shape and athletic, you know, because I, I believe he's a very strong and athletic guy. So I, so I could see him coming in there and getting some important snaps like you saw Jordan Davis start to in his freshman year. Because you saw when he came in his freshman year, the guy could only go for a couple snaps at a time, yet our defense became a lot more stout once he um, entrenched himself. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good call. Like, my only concern, you mentioned, my only concern with Ingram Dawkins is, is his body going to be ready? Because right, he's hit this crazy growth spurt. He's put on a lot of weight. He's up to almost 300 pounds now. Uh, about 6'5", just about 300 pounds. Um, but is he going to be physically ready? That's my only concern. But you're right. He's gonna, I think he's going to be an early enrollee. I think we actually might have like double-digit early enrollees this year because a lot of these well, guys yeah, – I believe that they said about 14 to 16 early enrollees. And, see, and that's the thing. I try to kind of put it on the same timeline as what you saw with Jordan Davis where Davis wasn't an early enrollee, so it took him till a middle, you know, into the season to fully get ready, and even then he wasn't truly ready. 
So I'm trying to hope that if you give someone like Tyrion uh, Ingram Dawkins a good eight months in the weight program, then by the time the season rolls around, he'll be ready to go and get some snaps. Yeah, weight program, nutrition, all of that. Yeah, that's and there's there's opportunity even to tackle too. So that's another good call there. And he's a highly talented. He's got a super high ceiling. There's no doubt there. I'm really high on what that guy can be. So that's a good call. It's a good call there. I'll go with it. Yeah, we might have double digit. Looks like yeah, up 14, 16 potentially early enrollees. Kirby's talked about this before. It's like we have a lot of guys that just the, the issue guys right now is a lot of places around the country aren't playing high school football. So they're not even, a lot of them aren't even in school. They're like doing this digital learning deal. And so why would I sit there and do school online when I can just go to college? And I know you have have to be positioned to do that. But the thing is, if they were doing online learning, you can, you can take a bunch of extra classes that way. There's a lot of programs out there that you can do. Um, Edgenuity is one of those. Trust me, I know these things. And um, they can get those, those classes taken and and get ready to to be an early enrollee. So I think Ingram Dawkins can be one of those guys and uh, that would be really good for his development. There's no doubt there. So good call there, Kurt. Um, All right, let's go. The next one I want to ask you here. So that's most immediate impact. But this next one's a little bit of a different question, similar, but different. Who is the most important member of the 2021 Georgia recruiting class? Oh, to me, it's no question. It's Brock Vandegrift. Yeah. Hands down. Um, I mean, especially if JT does come back, which it has been inferred, then, I mean, I know Carson Beck's here and the guy has a chance to be good. I don't know if I've seen anyone be ready to be the heir apparent more so than Brock Vandergriff. I mean, especially that one year, if he gets to take advantage of that one year, it probably won't be a red shirt, but just one year in the system to get used to the, I mean, realistically, he'll probably be the second or third quarterback. So he'd go against the number one defense in practice. So I just believe that long-term you'll get a, hopefully, if, it, if you only get two good years out of him as a starter, then it means he's been successful. Yes, yeah, it's, it's got to be Brock Vandegrift. Look, we've spent all year talking about how important the quarterback position has been. Like We've we talked all year about how this has become an offensive sport. It's, it, the, the game has become offensive in, in nature. Yes, you got to play good defense, but more than anything, you've got to be elite on offense. And how do you do that? You have elite quarterback play. That's the most important position on the field. And we've seen it firsthand this year, guys. The difference between having quarterback now and not having one earlier in the year. It's night and day. Absolutely night and day. We've talked about it. Like if we had if we had JT Daniels all year, we might be undefeated right now. We might be in the college football playoff. We'd be preparing to play in the SEC championship game. But it's not the reality. Hopefully we'll have them all next year. But having the quarterback gives you a chance. If you don't have the quarterback, it doesn't matter how talented you are everywhere else. Think about how, how talented we are on defense, how talented we are. I was going to say, back. look at our offense now, especially when you look at all these numbers the, through the first six games compared to the last three with JT Daniels, all of a sudden you just see these crazy amounts of explosive plays. Our um, success rate, everything has gone out, you know, doubled what we did in six games and only three. And the only really changes, yes, George has come back healthy and things like that, but the big change has been quarterback. Even when George was healthy, we weren't, we weren't putting up those numbers. Exactly, um, and, and yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. You got you, you. If you have the quarterback, you have a chance. If you don't have the quarterback, you can have the most talented offensive line, most talented receivers, running backs. And we have we have super talented players, guys. Like I told you, beginning of the season, we have the most talented roster in all of America, according to the two four seven composite, based on the eighty five guys on, on scholarship at the University of Georgia. But we didn't have the quarterback the first part of the year. That's what's wrong. That's why we lost two games. Now we do, and we're a totally different team. So Brock, I'm a believer in Brock Vandegrift. The jury's still out. Sure, we haven't seen it. I've seen enough of this guy. He's in. He's a local Athens kid. I've seen the guy play a lot in person. I am a believer in Brock Vandegrift. Put me down for that, and uh, no questions to me. Like I'm not saying he has the highest ceiling of all the players on our team, like long term, but 
most important player is Brock Vandegrift because we need somebody after JT. Hopefully JT comes back next year, which I think he will. But we need a, we need a guy waiting, and, it need, and I think Brock Vandegrift is that guy, no doubt. All right, Kurt, uh, next up, who is the most undervalued prospect in this class? But I'm going to make this tougher for you. We were asked this question on the mailbag, I think, last week. You went with Jackson Meeks. I went with Dylan Fairchild. So we can't, we're, we can't use those two prospects. So other than Jackson Meeks, other than Dylan Fairchild, who is the most undervalued prospect in this 2021 class? I'm going to go with Dumas Johnson, I believe, is the yeah. name. Yeah. Um, to me, I think that he actually right now of all the linebackers we signed is probably the guy that would be closest to contributing right away at the inside linebacker position, especially he, he could be, I just, I just believe that he's the guy that you could see coming in and getting reps earlier. So these other guys, which would shock you because, you know, especially Xavier Sori and Smell Munden, people like that are the ones you've heard all year about with their athleticism and everything that they can bring to the table. But I believe this is the guy that's most ready to go right now. I don't think you're wrong at all. I think you can make the argument. I don't think he has as high of a ceiling as those two once they figure it out. But I think he's probably the best pure inside linebacker in terms of just playing that position in high school. He reminds That's- me a lot of Monty. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. That's where I was going to go. I see a lot of Monty Rice in him. And like with with a guy like Xavier Sorry, I see kind of a cross between Monty Rice and N'Kobe Dean. He's big like Monty, but he moves a little bit better, uh, kind of like N'Kobe. I see a lot of Monty Rice, absolutely, in Dimash Johnson. I really do. And, and he's kind of one of those guys that like no one even talks about him. Like, like you might say his name, be like, who? Oh, that who is, is that guy's in our class? Like, who is he? What position does he play? I think he's a guy that that could at some point in his career be a guy that 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 is in the rotate, not only in the rotation, but could potentially be a starter. Uh, I think he's pretty polished coming out of high school. He doesn't have Maybe the athleticism, but he's a good downhill linebacker. He's already about he's big enough right now, 6'1, 235. Again, a lot like Monty Rice. And Monty wasn't a starter right away, but he really worked himself into like what a finalist for the Buckus Award. And I'm not saying Demosh Johnson's gonna do that, but that's a good call, Kurt. I like that one. All right, I'm gonna go with David Daniel, who I, I think was made was he the first member yeah, of the he was the first one of this the first commit of this class. Yeah, the first commit in this class is a top 100 guy. He's the kind of guy that gets lost in the shuffle. When you commit early, like people don't pay attention to you. But he's all like, if he if he waited to commit until signing day, we'd all be like flipping out right now, right? Hey, man, we led into David Daniel. We're, we, we need some depth in the defensive backfield. Top 100 guy. We'd all be pumped about that. But we kind of just like, uh, right now because he's been committed for forever, right? But a top 100 guy, not the fastest DB in the world, high four five, four six range, but he's a really fluid athlete. And that's important to me when you're playing with even some backfield. You got to be able to move those hips. You got to be able to change direction. He does that really well. And he has plus ball skills, which is very important for his safety. Great play recognition ability. He, I think he's at his best when he's moving downhill, and he will absolutely strike you. He takes great angles to the ball carrier. He reminds me of a lot of Lewis Seen, a lot. He really reminds me of Lewis Seen. I think there's a lot of similarities in their games. I think he, he could come in next year, honestly. He's more of a strong safety, and I know we have some guys that, you know, that, that have been in the program a little bit longer than Daniel. But, look, we're going to have an open spot at safety, and I know he's, a, he's similar to Seen, at least in my opinion. But I think he'll come in and compete. I think he'll come in and compete for one of those safety spots. I really do believe that next year. And no one really talks about him because he committed so, so long ago. But let's not forget about David Daniel. I think this guy's going to be a really good player for us. All right, Kirsch, a couple more here real quick. Who has the highest ceiling long-term in this class? Ooh, um, I would have to probably go with Marius Mims. Okay. 
Yeah, he's one. There were two options for me on this, and I think he was one of them. I figured you'd go with him, so I went with somebody else. How good can he be? Can he be like a top ten NFL draft pick? Yeah, I think he's he's like a mixture of Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Wilson, in my opinion, um, of what you get at that position because he has the size of Isaiah Wilson, but I believe he's just more so Andrew Thomas type, also with the way. I mean. He got away in high school using his feet, but I believe he can become a more technical person like Andrew Thomas. Yeah, good call. I mean, he's not, he's, uh, he's got about the same height as Isaiah Wilson, maybe not quite as heavy, but it, and he does move better like, like, like an Andrew Thomas. I do agree with that. I think he, I think this guy can absolutely be a franchise left tackle. And it's interesting because we got Roger Jones, who I also believe can be that guy if he continues to add weight. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out in the offensive line over the next couple of years. But that's a good call. It's one guys I was strongly considering there. I'm going to go with a guy that I've talked about really since I don't know the spring and that's smell Mondin. I, I think this, and you, I'm, I'm a, I'm a sucker for inside linebacker play. This guy's potential, his athleticism is off the freaking charts guys. He is not a polished finished product at inside linebacker. He, he plays it at high school, but it, you can tell that's he, he has, I don't say he hasn't had great coaching, but he's just not a finished product of that position. He's got a long way to go to learn the technical aspects of playing that spot. He plays a lot of running back for his high school, but man, he has every tool physically that you need to be a big time elite inside linebacker. I'm talking like a first round NFL draft pick. Who knows if he'll get there? You never know. But you're talking about potential, the P word. He's got that oozing out of him. This guy has an extraordinarily high ceiling. He's he's 6'3, 220, and explosive, incredibly explosive. And I and I trust Glenn Schumann to get this guy ready. He might not be ready next year to be a big time contributor, maybe towards the end of next year. But I think moving into year two, year three for him, this guy is going to be an all-SEC, potential all-American caliber player. He's just got that much physical ability. And last one, Curtis, here real quick. Which position group do you think was the strongest in this class? Easily the offensive line. Yeah, to me, he's either offensive line or inside linebacker. But look at the offensive line, guys. I mean, three guys in the top 100 with um, Amarius Mims, Micah Morris, and Dylan Fairchild. One of those guys in the top 10, Amarius Mims, number seven, uh, number three offensive tackle prospect in the country. Inside linebacker, I really like the potential of Xavier Sori and Smell Mondin, but they're not as ready right now. Two guys are really high ceilings, maybe just not quite ready to contribute immediately. I think on the offensive line, yet again, this is becoming old hat for us, but I think we hit yet another home run on the offensive line in this recruiting class. And I know we all love Sam Pittman. Guy did a great job while he was here. And we're rooting for him in Arkansas as long as he's not playing us. I want to give Matt Luke some credit here because, Kurt, you remember when Sam Pittman left, a lot of people were concerned that our offensive line recruiting would take a step back without him. And our offensive line had been such a key part of our success in the early years of the Kirby Smart tenure that a lot of people were concerned about that. But Matt Luke has come in and hit the ground running. He closed out the 2020 offensive line recruiting class and was able to shore up all those guys, most notably Broderick Jones and Tate Ratledge, Cedric Van Pran as well. And then he followed up with a great class this year. Three guys in the top 100, including a top 10 prospect and a Marius Mims. So, so tip of the cap to Matt Luke. He's kept the offensive line pipeline rolling here in Athens. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UJ podcast. Of course, there's a lot more to talk about when it comes to this 2021 recruiting class. And we're going to let it all play out. Wait till the late signing period comes and goes. Wait till we hit the transfer market, which I think we're going to hit really hard here. And then once that's all said and done and the dust settles, we will be back and talk a lot more recruiting. We'll do multiple shows breaking down this entire class, each prospect in detail. We'll have that for you guys in January, February. So be looking forward to that. 
Thank you guys for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.